Great. It's uh, wonderful to be with you. I wish I was there uh, live. It's been a while since I've actually spoken in front of a group of people live, face-to-face, uh, -face, I guess, but uh, I wish I was there. Uh, let me say this on behalf of the board, that uh, we serve you, we serve the school, uh, we pray for you, uh, we do it because we believe in you and we are for you. And we, we are excited that you are studying at Prairie. We believe that you are game changers in what is happening now, but what is to happen in the future. Personally, um, I, uh, I'm excited when I look at, at you as uh, within your, your demographic and what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to do for the name of the Lord. Uh, and as I am on that older side of things, I'm in my, my mid-50s, I begin to pass that torch on to you folks and what lies ahead for us as a, uh, as a nation uh, in the world for your, your demographic and, and uh, what you're going to bring to the table, I think is exciting. So well done. And just, just as a board, we, we believe in you and we are for you and we are praying for you. Well, today I've been tasked with the opportunity to share with you uh, the, um, the life of John. And he is a great character in the Bible. He is one of the 12 apostles. And uh, when you look at his, who he is and his identity, um, that's where I want to start. I want to start with him as a man. And I think about identity, <clears throat> I think about my own identity, and I think I had a bit of some confusion when I was growing up about who I was. When, uh, when I was a boy, a young boy, my mom would call me anything but my name. She would call me Tom, she'd call me George, she'd call me Harry, uh, and anytime she called me, I'd just respond. The truth of it is, is that she used these names, other than my name, Scott, so much that one day she had a girlfriend over, and the girlfriend looked at her after she called me, whatever it was, George, come here, and I turned around and, and came to her. Uh, she looked at her and she says, what is your son's name? So uh, I had a little bit of an identity crisis and it didn't get any better because when I was about 10 years old, I, uh, I was with my grandparents. They would come to our house, they would bring their trailer. They had one of those streamliners, you know, those silver bullet trailers. Uh, they would bring it into the driveway, park it there and stay for a couple weeks. And I would go in for breakfast and you got the best breakfast with grandma. I mean, it was bacon, it was eggs, it was sourdough, toasted bread. And I would go in there and I would have breakfast every opportunity that I, would, I could get. Well, one day I'm sitting there with my, with my grandmother and um, uh, she, she looks at me and she says to me, you don't look like anyone. And uh, I'm thinking, what, I don't have a face here? What, what is she talking about? And then she went on to say, you know, you don't look like your mom. You don't look like your dad. For a 10-year-old, uh, when, when somebody tells you you don't look like anybody, there's, a, there's something that you're, you're crushed by. For me, I wanted to look like my dad. My dad was my superhero. And I wanted to look like my dad. And for my grandmother to say to me, you don't look like anyone, uh, I was kind of crushed at that. Uh, but I think about that, what is our identity? How are we known? And when we look at John and we look at his identity, what do we know about him? It's in his writings and it's what's written about him that we, we understand who he is. Question I have for you is, is who are you? 
who is your identity? As we look at John a little bit and his identity, the question is, is who are you and what is your identity? I think that we can identify, we often identify the people around us by their names and by what they look like. So now if somebody says, oh, do you know Scott Hemingway? You'll know me by my name, but you also know my face. Uh, not all that pretty, but uh, here it is. Um, and, uh, and, and with that, uh, that's, our, that's how you identify somebody. But I believe your identity is found in your character. Your identity is found in your character. And that character is built on what you believe and how you live your life. When I was at Prairie, that was many years ago, as, uh, as Mark had shared, uh, I was there at, at about 22 years old, and I was, I was given a book by my grandparents, the same ones I had breakfast with, and it was called Sandy, A Man After God's Own Heart. It was written by Leighton Ford, and it was written about his son, who had, uh, who had it was, a, it was a, a biography of his son. He had, he had died at, a, at 22 years old. And so it was quite something that I picked up this book and I was reading this book uh, at the same age as this man, this young man, Sandy, had died. And his dad was writing about him. And his dad says that he, he knew his son, but it wasn't until he started going out and asking friends and acquaintances about his son. And he started to read his journal that he began to understand him to where he wrote this book and he entitled it The Man After God's Own Heart. That was his identity because it was his character. And so who are you? And, and, and here's, here's the part here is, is that you're actually writing that story today. Today, you're writing that story, who you are. The choices you make, the decisions you make, write that story to say who you are and your identity. Just as it did with John and his identity was the story that he wrote. So who was this man? Well, he was a fisherman. And uh, he, was, he was probably the youngest disciple. He was, uh, he was a disciple that died of, of old age. Uh, I think it was like 66, 67, somewhere in there, maybe 68. Uh, so he died at an older age. He wasn't martyred. He had a brother, James, who was also an apostle, and he was the first one who was martyred. But he was also part of this inner circle of Jesus, as you all probably well know. That, made, that was made up of his brother, James, and as well as Peter. If you go back and you look at those, uh, the story of when Jesus brought those three together, there are, there are three times that he brings the three together recorded in the gospel. It might have been more, but we have three. And, and I, I want to bring this out because I think there's a point in here for us to, to take hold of as we look at, at who John is and being part of the center circle. The first time that he is drawn away with James and Peter is when Jairus's daughter dies. And Jesus brings him and the other two together, and Jesus raises him from the dead. 
The next time is at the Mount of Transfiguration where we have Moses and we have Elijah there and Jesus is there. And uh, what, a, what a sight that was and what an experience that was. And then the last was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's something of a characteristic about these three experiences that we shouldn't lose. And that is they all three center around death. And they give us a picture of something in the aspect of death. So here are the three. Jerry is, as I think, his daughter. What we read in there is that we see victory over death. And, and John gets to be part of seeing this victory over death. And I, I believe his, his writings reflect that. The Mount of Transfiguration, we get this glorified, this glorification of, uh, within, uh, within the fact that we see Moses and we see Elijah who have died if they come back in glory. And, and it is what is to come, this glorification that is to come for all of us. And then third, we read in there, as he's drawn into this inner circle at Gethsemane, we see this surrender in death. And so he experiences these, this aspect that I don't think we should lose as we go through who John is. John was also exiled to the island of Patmos and there he wrote the book of Revelation. And it is said this, it is said that as he got older, he would often repeat to those around him this phrase, little children love one another. Little children, love one another. If I was to characterize John, and I was to look at him and say, what is his identity? I would say there are two aspects to his identity. And the two aspects is this. It is believe and love. Believe and love. In the book of John, the gospel of John, there are 98 times that the word believe comes up. And it happens to be that in John chapter 20, John writes these words. He wants his readers to understand why he's written the book. He says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you have life by the power of his name. John, throughout the entire book, he is driving the home the point, believe, believe, believe. Our identity can be found in what we believe. Let me ask you this question. What do you believe? Now, I, I think about that, and, and I think, well, duh. I mean, here you are, you're at Prairie. Um, you believe in God, right? That's true, and I do too. But I have to ask, how am I living out that belief? And how, is there any way to measure where I am in my belief with God? Questions are a great way of taking a step back to examine our life and say, where am I with God? And so I'm gonna ask you again, 
What do you believe? And pause for a moment and then say, it can be found or, or what do I value? Because what you believe, we found in what you value. So what do you value? I think there are three ways to look at this and it's this. What you value is found in your time, it's found in your talents, and it's found in your treasure. So your time, what are you doing with your time? You know, we've got these wonderful devices here, uh, our phones, and um, they've got a wonderful feature on these phones. And that feature is found in, uh, the, the, in the settings and you can go to screen time and in screen time, it will show you where you spend your time on your phone. Isn't that just amazing? And it will tell you uh, if it's in entertainment, if it is in productivity, it's fantastic. It's, a, it's one way to measure where we spend our time. It's not the only way. But if you're wondering, what does my time look like? Well, here's a way. Pick up your phone, keep track of your screen time. What are you doing with your time? Because what you do with your time will show what you value. Now, right now we're coming up to, uh, you know, you're going to be pushing into getting those papers done and, and those exams uh, and then studying for your exams. And you're spending a lot of time on your studies. And it can get so mechanical that we miss that time with God. So where are we spending our time? Second is, is our talents. What are you doing with your, 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 your talents, your gifts, your abilities? Are they there for the Lord? Are they there for, for his purposes? I have lots of different hobbies that I, have been, I enjoy and I have enjoyed over the years. And one of them that I've enjoyed over the years is playing, is playing ball. And, and one, one, uh, when I was in Enderby as a pastor there, uh, we had a guy in our church who, who, who started a ball team. And he asked if I would play on it. And I said, sure. And so I'm playing on this ball team. And after about two years, I'm looking around. I'm going, man, this is great. I mean, we're playing ball. And most of these guys are from the church. And we get done and, and uh, we talk about it. And maybe on Sunday, we talk about it. But one day, the Lord said to me, hey, you enjoy baseball? You enjoy softball? Yeah, yeah, I do. Look around you. Look at those other teams. And I looked at the other teams and I thought, wow, those teams, these guys are lost. They need Jesus. And I, I made a tough decision to step away from a team with a group of guys that I really enjoyed playing ball with, to step on another team that I didn't really know all these guys, but the majority of them didn't go to church. Taking my talents, my hobbies, and making sure that 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 I'm enjoying what God has created, but also saying, how can it be for the Lord? The last is my treasures. And I just quickly say to you, you know, you want to know what you're, where, where, what you believe? Look at your treasures. Look at what you're doing in your bank account. I remember those days of being a poor college student. Um, that was back then I had hair. 
and uh, and I needed shampoo. And I literally can remember the times of going to the mailbox, hoping that somebody, maybe grandma, sent me some money so I could go buy some shampoo instead of stealing from my uh, my, my roommate. I know that right now, if you look at your bank account, there's maybe not a lot in it, but strip away some of the aspect of your need for school and your bills and what is left over. And in that, as you look at your bank account, look and say, where is the rest of my money going? Again, I, I don't think that God doesn't want us to go out and enjoy and, and have fun. But if I don't stop and pause for a moment and say, what do I believe? Is what I value, and if I value my God, my Savior, my Lord, then it's going to be reflected, and, 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 and he's going to be the priority in my time, in my talents, and my treasure. Let me, let me move on a little bit deeper into this aspect of believe for a moment, because I want to look at two characters uh, in John's writing about believing, and it's found in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we, we have the story in there of Jesus' betrayal. And in that betrayal, there are, there are two characters that are there. There is Judas. And then later on in that same chapter, we have Peter, where, God, where Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And in other words, Peter, you're going to abandon me. You're going to betray me. Uh, you're going to flee. Uh, Peter you're going to abandon me. And Judas, you're going to betray me. What my question I, I began to consider and to think about is what would bring Judas to a place that he would betray Jesus? I'll leave it to your professors to go into the theological debate about uh, predestination and that, that Judas didn't have a chance because he was predestined. Somebody had to betray Jesus. Um, <clears throat> but Here's an interesting part. If you go back and you look at Matthew 26, 22, when Jesus reveals that somebody's going to betray them, you'll read in there that all the disciples were looking at each other and saying, is it me? Am I going to betray him? And I think that that is a good question. You know, could I betray my Savior and Lord? When I make a choice to sin, when I make a choice to not follow believing in him, I am betraying this relationship that he has laid out for me to live. Is it me? What, what really caused Judas to betray him is that Judas allowed in his heart for him to follow Jesus for self-gain. And as long as he could gain, for Jesus, gain from Jesus, he was in. And that is why he sold out, because he could see that Jesus wasn't going to go on the throne. And if he wasn't going to be this earthly king, then he didn't have a place to, con Judas didn't have a place to continue to succeed and grow and be and be successful. And so he figured, if I'm going to get my last little squeeze out of this as I can, and he sold out for Jesus. What was the issue there? I think the real issue for Judas was the fact that he was, his belief system was not a surrendered belief. 
it was a it was a belief as long as he could gain. When I was in high school, my last year in high school, grade grade twelve, uh, there was a Bible that was sitting on the shelf of the church in the, in the coat room, and it sat there for a long time. And I had opened that Bible up, and I I had I had seen it, and and I'd seen an inscription in the Bible, and it really caught my eye, and I. I remember looking and seeing if anybody's going to pick up that Bible, pick up that Bible. And after two months, I went to my pastor and I said, you know, there's a Bible on the shelf there and nobody's picked it up. And I said, can I have it? And he said, sure. To this day, it is still part of my book collection. It, it, it's written in the King James. I, I really don't read it. I am I, dyslexic. I struggle with reading. Um, so I prefer something like the the uh, NLT or, or the NIV or something like that. But I wanted that book because it said this. Somebody had written in this book, I am capable of committing every sin in this book. I have to pause for a moment. I have to realize that if my belief system is not set firmly and that I am surrendered to my Savior and Lord, I'll be asking the question, is it me? Well, there's, there is also the fact that there is Peter. And Peter, we see, he is a man who Jesus says, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And yes, you are. And you're going to deny me three times. And we know as we read the story that he does, he does deny Jesus. And I believe that his issue was, is that he was standing as a strong man. He was standing to the fact that he had pride. He was at this place where he says, I'm good. I got this. I got this, Jesus. I'm standing with you. You remember, you, I don't know if you remember the Pepsi commercial. There's a Pepsi commercial. I think it was a uh, Super Bowl commercial two, 2009. You can look it up. And it was, uh, it's a Pepsi commercial, Diet Pepsi commercial, where uh, all these things happen to these guys. A bowling ball falls on a guy's head. Another guy gets hit with a, with a, uh, with a golf club. And um, another guy gets, gets electrocuted. And each time the guy says, I'm good. <laughs> I like that commercial because that is so much me. I kind of want to do it. I kind of want to, I got this, God. I got this. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. It's really what Peter says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. And he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. The fact is, is that I need to find myself in that place where I am weak. Otherwise, I will be like Peter who will say, God, no way. I'm not going to deny you but I will. As my time is kind of running, uh, running short here, I, I want to bring us to the last point. And there's so much more I, I, I'd love to share in there, but, but I want to bring this fact of love because I think this love is really does characterize John. If you read 1 John, you'll see in there that, that he mentions love 40 times in the book of 1 John. So there's something to it. And I think it comes from this, is that in the midst of why I chose this passage, because you see these two men who, who have their own struggles with believing, 
You also read this in John 13. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the key right here. What is the new commandment? The new commandment is, is, that, is that love is not simply what I choose, who I choose to love. But as Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 43 through 48, he talks about this point of, hey, love your enemies. Jesus proves what love really is, is that he washed disciples' feet. And that included Judas, the one who would betray him. What does love have to do with it? A lot. Everything. Because if I'm just believing, it's just in my head. But when I love, I practice. Let me say that again. When when I simply am believing, it's in my head, but when I love, I practice. And God doesn't want us simply to believe. Otherwise, we're going to be like Peter and we say, we've got this. He wants us to practice. And practice means that I need to be weak so that he can use me. Let me end with this example. And then I want to, this example and one question. I have a friend, his name is Jim Bryant. And Jim Bryan, I met in Bible school. Jim got married and he moved to Alaska. And it was about five years ago that I got a phone call from Jim. And Jim and I, we would talk to each other probably three or four times a year. And every time we had a lot of laughter. Jim brought more laughter in my life than anybody has ever brought laughter into my life. We would laugh so hard our stomachs would hurt. They would just ache. And so when we talked on the phone, oftentimes we would reminisce about those great times of laughter. But I got this phone call and I knew that we weren't going to laugh right away. I knew that something was wrong. And I asked Jim, Jim, what is, what is wrong? And he said to me, he says, my son has died. I said, what? His son, 17 years old, he died. His only son, the son that he loved. And I said, Jim, what happened? Jim says, somebody killed him. Let me tell you real quick, Jim had come home from work and he got there and the door was open to his house. Jim walks in and he finds his son dead in his own home. He called the police. It's such a small community there that was a reserve auxiliary police officer who arrived. And she arrived. She looked at the scene. And her first assessment, she told Jim this. He, she said to him, Jim, I think, that some, I think your son took his life because there was a lot of suicide in that, in that community. But they had to call in a special team. The special team came. They started doing an investigation. And what they thought would be one hour turned into two hours, turned into five hours. And at the end of the time, they said, your son did not take his life, but somebody took your son's life. Well, the police officer who who first attended that got a phone call. And she said to uh, the person on the phone said, you need to talk to your son. Your son knows something and he's not telling you. So she went to her son and she said to him, son, do you know something? I want you to be honest with me. And he shook his head. And she says, okay, I'm taking you to the investigators and you're gonna tell them what you know. So she drove him to where the investigators were. He sat there and what he told them was that he had shot my friend's son's son. He shot Jim's son. 
devastation. This is a small community. Everybody knew everybody. Matter of fact, Jim had this child in his home. Jim and Eunice had this child in his home. They fed this child. They, they laughed with this child. And they, this child took their son's life. About a month later, Jim was visiting. Jim and his, his wife Eunice were visiting the pastor. And as they started to walk out of the church and in the foyer, in walks the police officer whose son had taken their son's life. And they paused there. Allison, who was a police officer, said she didn't know what was going to happen. Jim walked up to Allison. He wrapped his arms around her, and they are both weeping. And he said to her, Allison, we hold nothing against you. We hold nothing against your son. We love you. We want the best for you. I said to Jim, Jim, how could you do that? How could you do that? And he said, how could I not do it? How could I not do it with a savior who, who, who took his arms on the cross and died on the cross because of the great love that he had for me, that he died for me when I was yet a sinner? He said, how could I not love her and her son? You know, I think that Jim was able to answer this question. Because I think how we could live in love is this. What breaks God's heart? And better yet, what breaks your heart? So here, let me summarize this and just say this. John was a grand man of great character. He was identified by his character. He is a man who believed and he loved. And he looked at his, what he believed and he made sure that his time, his treasure, and his talents were there to serve God. And his love was not simply for those in which he could get along with, but he understood the new commandment, which is to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. I pray for you. Lord, thank you for this group. Thank you for these students. Thank you for the professors, Lord, for the staff, for the administration at Prairie. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling today, health-wise, emotionally, physically, spiritually, Lord. Father, may we take hold of the fact that you are a God who loves us immensely. May we find ourselves believing in you with all that we have. And Lord, then practicing it with the love that you have shown us to the love of those around us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.